When it comes to the forgiveness of sins, there is a progression that Scripture speaks loud and clear about. Today, we're continuing our look at that progression, Waiting for Forgiveness. It's the title of our message, and our foundational passage can be found in Psalm 130, verses 1 through 8. Uh, We spent some time in the last broadcast looking at a troubled faith, or wanting God's ear. It's found in verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 130. Today, we'll continue as we look at what it means to wait for God's favor. It's a tethered faith that is spoken of in Hebrews 6. For the details, here's Pastor Jessica Stand in this edition of Way of Grace. God waits, and that's why the burden remains, and that's why the guilt remains. And that's why you enter into the state that we're about to describe now, which is so profound and involved in terms of what the psalmist is dealing with. When I said that the psalmist is giving us a picture without a frame, he's giving us an account that doesn't have an obvious resolve. There is one there, but in this particular psalm, all we see is a kind of trouble that the psalmist describes as a, watch this now, a journey downward, a descent that appears to be bottomless, a descending down that he calls the depths, the depths. Look at verse 1, and then I'll I'll impose upon you the sense of the title of our first point. Are you at verse 1? Out of the depths have I cried unto thee. See, here's how the psalmist is opening up his, his song. This is really a song. He's opening up the song, sharing with you that he is on his way down in the dark waters of the sea. He's sinking. He's sinking, sinking, sinking in the depths. He's sinking in the depths. And for him and for you and I, the depths have no bottom because no human being can plumb the depths of the sea. For the psalmist, he is in the kind of trouble that is so disconcerting that he wants God to know that he is utterly helpless. Out of the depths. That's the paradoxical nature of verse 1.8. Out of the depths. Out of the depths. That's a dark place. Out of the depths. That's a negative place. Out of the depths. That's a painful, painfully vulnerable place, right? Out of the depths. And here is the positive. This is the tension of the believer's life, isn't it? Cried I unto thee. Do you see it? In other words, there's a negative there, right? Out of the depths. Here's the positive. Have I cried unto you? Out of the depths. Have I cried? Out of the depths have I cried? And I assert to most of you that until you find yourself in the depths, you don't really cry out to God. You try to solve it on your own. You try to solve it on your own. But I want to stay on this because I really want you to get the depths. Because I would also assert that most of us in this room have really not gone through the depths of the Psalms. Now, some of you may have, but not most of us. Most of us have lived so well in our lives. And here's the, end of re- here's the reason, reason why. Here's the indicative as to why. You don't remember the last time you cried out to God like this. This is how you know you ain't been through nothing. 
This is how you know you haven't been through anything. Because if you were going through what this psalmist is going through, I guarantee you cry. In fact, everywhere in the scriptures where people were going through the depths, guess what they did? Cried. I guarantee you that if you are not crying like this, you're not going through the depths. And again, this particular term, which is so important for you to grasp, is really speaking about the seas. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in the Friday study, did we not? The seas, which becomes this massive entity of overwhelming, nemesine power over the people of God and over the world of which only God can master and control. The sea was a fearful thing for the Jewish person or the Hebrew Israelite because they understood, and it ought to to be fearful to you. Have you ever been out there? Have you ever been out there? Have you been exposed to the vastness of the seemingly endless seas out there? Have you ever been on the water in a little tin can like my brother used to take me out fishing several— I ain't been out there in a long time, brother, remember? Little tin can out there on those waves, vulnerable to being swallowed up by the ocean. You realize how puny you are and how you may be able to swim, but not that well. I want to go deep enough into the psalm so that you appreciate the forgiveness of sins. I don't want you to be superficial with your reading of the Bible. Because the person whom God has used in his trouble, whom you don't know, which means this is a general epistle given to all saints. You don't know who he is. You don't know his background. You don't know where he comes from. He has no name. And whenever God does that, it means it's a general epistle for you. Y'all got that? Right. You can't hide behind the context. In other words, it applies to all and anyone in that situation. No name. Why? Because anyone in this situation fits the bill here. What do you do when you're in a situation like this brother here? I tell you, you do exactly what he does. Do exactly what he does. Now, what's amazing about the use of this term in verse 30, part A, out of the depths, is we have more of a sort of illustration and development of it in Psalm 69. Look over in Psalm 69, verses 1, 2, and 3, and then I want you to see it in verses 13 through 15. I want you to see how the psalmist in Psalm 69 describes it, and you will then be affirmed in the way in which I have presented it to you thus far. Psalm 69, verse 1, are you there? Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. You see how he's now making it more vivid? And do you understand now what he's saying while he's in the depths? What is he saying? Save me. Save me. Save people. Have you ever been in the kind of trouble that you ask God to save you all over again? Right. So you you really want to get this because there are troubles that can come into your life of which the only wise thing you do intuitively is ask God to do what? Peter's seeking. He's seeking. And there's no other appropriate word to give to Jesus but what? Lord, save me. Now, what the psalmist wants you and I to do is understand a place that you may not be at yet, but you might end up there. What the psalmist wants us to do is understand that there are people who are in these circumstances to whom you may be able to bring comfort if you get the doctrine right. Save me, O God, for the waters are coming unto my soul. Look at verse 2. Here it is. I sink in the deep mire. Do you see it? 
Now watch this. A power has overwhelmed him and is bringing him down. He's sinking. Gravity is having its way with him, right? You and I don't see him wrestling. He may be wrestling, but what is he concluding? I'm sinking while I'm wrestling. I'm not winning this battle. I'm not rising up. I'm going down. And because his waters, the waters have come in on his soul. In other words, his mortal life is in danger, is it not? Have you ever almost drowned? Have you ever almost drowned? You talked to God real quick, didn't you? I sink in deep mire where there is no standing, no standing, no standing. I'm about to talk about that. I am come into deep waters where the floods, what? Is that a bad day? Is that a bad day? It's a real bad day. It's a real bad day. And if you are talking to someone that's going through that kind of day, don't you ever give them a bad day. Don't you ever give them superficial Bible verses out of, out of a sort of arrogant assumption that a Bible verse, a quip, a religious phraseology will bring comfort to a soul that's going down that deep. You better empathize with them. Or you better say, you know what, you better talk to somebody because these are waters way too deep for me. I ain't never been there. I'll pray for you, but don't you even say that out loud because that doesn't help when a brother's drowning. The psalmist here is describing experientially what it is. Verse 3, notice this. Verse 3 plainly says, I am weary of my what? My throat is dry. Have you ever been there? You're crying, you're crying, you're crying. You're calling, you're calling, you're calling, and God is not answering. Why is God not answering? Because God waits for the season of the ripe fruit of repentance. You been there? You, you wonder why God didn't come through? Why hasn't he come through? God, I'm crying, I'm calling out. In fact, I'm getting tired of even crying. My throat is dry from crying and calling on you. My eyes fail while I what? There it is. Now look at verse 13. 13 through 15. I want you to get a bigger picture. But as for me, my prayer is unto you, O Lord, in an acceptable time, O God. In the multitude of your mercies, hear me in the truth of thy salvation. Notice how he's calling on God for what? Mercy. Look at verse 14. Deliver me out of the what? I'm stuck. Deliver me out of the mire and let me not what? Sink. Let me deliver, be delivered from them that hate me and out of the what? This is amazing because what the person is going through in the metaphor and analogy of the depths is really the psychological and emotional and spiritual deep, deep depression that comes when you are clear that you are out of control. What he's talking about is the spiritual, psychological, and emotional depression that comes when you are clear to yourself that you are out of control. Let me paint the picture because I want you to get it. This man is recognizing that as the psalmist says, there's no bottom there, no foundation. Do you know what it's like when the foundation is taken up from under you? When no longer is there a firm footing upon which you stand and have hope. Have you ever been in the water and you couldn't touch the bottom? You know that's a problem. But here's a greater problem. When the waters are tossing to and fro, 
And now you no longer have the civility of being upright. Now you are tumbling in the water upside down, being tossed to and fro. You are out of control. No stability, no firmness, no sense of gravitational erection, uprightness. You're not there. You and I are used to standing up straight. We're not used to being sideways, let alone upside down let alone twisting and turning and going through the throes of being utterly out of control. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And that's what the psalmist is talking about. He's talking about the depths of depression that acknowledge, watch this, that I don't have a handle on anything. When I reach out, I can't get anything. When I reach down, I can't find anything. When I look up, there's no way to the top. Watch this. He said, even his friends have abandoned him. Watch. So when you are going through this kind of depth, your friends watch you and they go, can't do nothing with that. Can't touch that. And the next thing you know, they're distancing themselves from you. And if you're not careful, the way you appear socially, objectively to other people, you will become a stumbling block for them particularly if they don't have the level of empathy they should as a believer, i.e. Job and his three friends when Job was going through it, when David was going through it. Here's another thing. When you go through this kind of trial, you quickly find out who your real friends are. When you are going upside down, inside out, tossed to and fro, and you really look like a sinful fool, you really do. You really do. The person who is not rooted and grounded in God and are aware of what you are going through, they will think you are crazy and then heap judgments on you. That's what the psalmist just said that. He says, deliver me from them that what? Hate me. Now, again, the psalm here is really messianic, as is all the psalm. But this one is richly talking about our master going through the same thing. Can you imagine Jesus going through this? Can you imagine it? You better? Because there is no temptation that has occurred to man that Christ has not endured. He has been touched with the feeling of our infirmity all the way through without sinning. That means somewhere in the walk of our master, the weight of the reality of the crushing nature of sin swept him off of his feet and he started sinking too. Why did he do it? For me. Why did he do it? For those who trust in him in order that he might be a faithful high priest to those that come to him in time of trouble. Am I making some sense? Giving you a little insight into the invisible frame here though. So the psalmist wants you to understand that when we read verse one of our text, go back, let me keep going that you are not to kind of read Psalm 130 verse 1 as a kind of nice little soliloquy, soliloquy, soliloquy that you and I kind of say, oh, that's fine. Out of the depths have I cried unto the Lord. Lord, I did that too. No, you haven't. You know what I'm thinking about right now? Another brother who went through the same thing. You know what his name was? King David. You remember the days in which he looked up and God was blessing him with triumph, and yet Saul wanted to kill him. And the next thing you know, he had to leave his own nation and go to the Philistines. And he's scratching on the door, acting like a crazy man, slobbing after the mouth. Y'all remember that? 
You remember that? Psalm 40, verse 1. You quote it all the time, but please listen to it. I waited patiently for the Lord. See it? Now we put some commodity on patience, don't we? Because that's what David had to do, didn't he? As he was making his way to the throne, he was being attacked, wasn't he? And wouldn't attacks affect your mind? Wouldn't they cause you to wonder, is there anyone? Wouldn't they even cause you to wonder, God, are you there? And, and yet David is doing something the psalmist is doing about which we're about to unpack that is essential. When you are in this kind of trouble, what do you do? You wait. David said, I waited patiently on the Lord. Now you better grab that word patience, do all the exegetical labors you possibly can, the deep meditation and cogitation on it, because that was the key to David's deliverance. I waited patiently on the Lord. See it? I waited patiently. Now David is the patient. He's the one that wants remedy. Sometimes when your brothers and sisters or your family members or people you know are going through this, the only thing you can tell them to do is wait on God. Do you hear me? No other solution will work. No other solution will work. Going back to our first point, let me show you something now as we begin to move. While verse 1 opens up in Psalm 130 with the whole idea of the psalmist in his depths or their depths and, and, and so forth, they are at least doing what? Crying out to God. Would you say that's a good thing? Yeah. Crying out to God. Would you say it's a good thing? Right. So here's what I want you to see. In your outline, I have attached to the first main point a troubled what? Faith. A troubled faith. You see it? I'd rather have a troubled faith in the depths than no faith at all. I'd rather have a, a faith that's in such trouble that all it does is call on God when I get in trouble. Am I making some sense? See, sometimes you and I want to have the kind of dignified faith that really doesn't honor God when you're in trouble. See, the faith of the psalmist that he's describing here is the faith of a child that cries out for his father when he's in trouble. That's your first subpoint. You see it? Father! That's who the Lord is here. Father, hear my what? Right. And I told you, Abba Father, that combination of the Hebrew and the Greek word, which every believer possesses because he is a son or daughter of God, is not one of those cute little cries. It's a screech. It's a screech. It's the cry, I am your son, you are my father, I am your daughter, you are my father, I feel separated from you, I cannot live without you. God, come get me. Hey. This, is the, this is the one time that Christ used it of himself in Mark 14, 36, when he's about to go to the cross. That's when he uses it. Here he is between heaven and hell. And what is he doing? He's showing the sons of God how to call, call on God when you're in a twix between God's will and your desire. And how do you do it? God's not going to hear you if you're whimpering. You better scream. You better scream. You better, watch this, make some noise. And I mean real noise. You better act like you are in a sea. 
and no one out there can hear you but God. You better act like there's only one audience, and that audience is God. I don't want to hear from anybody else. I don't want to hear from any. The only person I want to hear from is the person that can deliver me. Are you guys with me? Right. This is the way the Psalms is, is opening up. And it's very important for you to get this because you're going to be here someday or a loved one is. And you don't want to be like Job's friends. You don't want to be a miserable counselor. You don't want to be somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about. You don't want to darken counsel by words without knowledge. You don't want to act as if you have plumbed those depths. If you haven't, don't go there. Say, you know what? I'm going to call on somebody to help you. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take it to the saints in prayer because you're going through something. You need some help. That's the way the psalmist is opening up. Now, subpoint B, I love this. Notice what it says. He says in subpoint A, Lord, Father, hear my cry. And that's what all believers do. That's Romans 8, 15, Galatians 4, 6, right? We, having the spirit of adoption, cry what? Abba, Father. That's New Testament. It's clear. We don't have to develop that. If you're a true believer, you cry, Abba, Father. And it's because of subpoint B. Notice what it says. Lord Jesus, what? Right. So for those of us who are careful exegetes of the Bible, we notice that when you read your English Bible, the first word Lord is in all capital letters. That is going to largely always be Yahweh. The second word Lord is in, is, is in a capital letter L with lowercase O-R-D. That's going to always be Adonai. Stay with me. Stay with me. Because the psalmist knows how to get to God. Do you know what he knows? You get to the Father through the Son. Do you see it? No other way. You do not get to the Father apart from the Son. I'm going to give you some insights here in verses 2 and 3. But verse 1, part B, verse, is actually verse 2. Lord Jesus, plead for me. It's where in the Old Testament you will get these allusions to what we recognize are three persons in the Godhead. Do we not? Father, what? Son, and what? If you look in verse 6, it also says the same thing over in verse 6. Look at Psalm 130, verse 6. Are you there? My soul waits for the what? And yet over in verse 5, part A, what does he say? I wait for the what? So in verse 5, part A, you have Yahweh. In verse 6, part A, you have what? Adonai. Do you know why? Because every saved person understands from the beginning of time, you never know God apart from Christ. Are y'all following me? You never, you never, you never know God apart from Christ. And I'm going to give you just two Old Testament Psalms. For you men, we will be dealing with the real revelation of the second person in the Old Testament to affirm Jesus was always God's revelation. He was always God's second power. He was always the mediatorial revelation of the invisible God. Always. So we never even waste time with people who assert that you can know God apart from Christ. You cannot know Him apart from Christ. That'll conclude our time today here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastan, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. We thank you for spending time with us. Trust that as you do walk through God's Word with us, you're growing in grace, growing in your relationship with Christ and your love and adoration to Him. 
As we conclude our time together today, we would like to remind you that if today's broadcast was an impact to you, maybe it really blessed you, or maybe you've got a question or two that to listen to this program again would help out. Well, we have CDs available when you call or write to us, or if you wish, simply stop by our website and download the audio file from the website. Our web address is grace-bible.com. Rather simple. Again, grace-bible.com. Or contact us by phone at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, the address is 22768 Main Street. And that's here in Hayward. The zip code is 94541. Again, that's 22768 Main Street. Hayward, California, 94541 is the zip code. We ask for $5 per CD, or again, as mentioned, simply stop by our website and you can listen to the message in its entirety or download the MP3 version, grace-bible.com. One final note, we're inviting you to join us for worship. Sunday services are at 11 a.m. with Sunday school at 10 a.m. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study at 8 p.m. We'd love for you to stop by and join us for worship, especially if you're not involved in a fellowship at this time. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study. We have folks from all kinds of churches all over the Bay Area joining us at 8 p.m. It's a marvelous time of studying God's Word together as a company of believers. Again, for directions, simply go to grace-bible.com or call 510-886-9782. Thank you for joining us today, and until next time, God bless.